Tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did it all start? Do you remember? Oh, I know what happened. How did it stop? You're now tuned into the Small Business Origins Podcast. I love an origin story. Each week, we dive into the real stories of entrepreneurs and businesses from across the nation. Who is he and what's his origin story? Who started with just an idea and are now making waves. I told you this was a good idea. This is Small Business Origins. Yeah, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Small Business Origins. I'm your host, as always, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram and TikTok. John the Podcaster on Twitter. And you're tuned in. It's our nationwide search. We're looking for entrepreneurs that have a story to tell. And joining me virtually in the studio, I've got an entrepreneur that wants to do just that. From Gilbert, Arizona, I've got Aaron Chapman. He's with Security National Mortgage Company. Aaron, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, buddy. It's good to uh, get to meet you finally. It's a little bit of a battle getting us together. I know. Yeah. You know, and listeners that are tuning in right now, they have no idea because they could be hearing this in August of 2023 or February of 2024. But I've been on a break from podcasting. I haven't been able to podcast for a while. I've had some personal things going on here and uh, it's been kind of crazy. And part of that personal craziness that got caught up was you not being able to be on the show because I had to postpone on you. And then we had some tech issues this morning. So we're like 50 minutes late into this thing, but we're here. We're here. We made it happen. We pivoted. And that is like every entrepreneur story. There's always a pivot and you just got to make it work. So I'm glad we're here and I'm excited to hop into it. But we always start out with an icebreaker question. And today's icebreaker question, this is a tough one, man. It's which beverage goes best with pizza? Damn. Um, everybody's <laughs> going to go and say, say a light beer, man, but I I have to always lean towards just club soda. I'm one of those guys that that's what I drink all the time, man. You can't, I can't have, uh, got to be careful what goes in my body these days. Yeah. You know, I mean, the 40s and you have to start paying close attention. In fact, yeah, I'm not going to eat damn pizza. So that's the other part of it. <laughs> Give me the naked smoked wings so I can kind of stay on track with how I'm supposed to be eating. So, right. There, Oh, anything can go with pizza at this point in my life because I won't be eating that either. I know. I know. I'm with you. I'm on like a health kick and I still eat like crap every now and then because I'm a firm believer in, you know, the whole moderation thing. If I just go on an extreme health cleanse, then I am going to uh, just go off the wagon really bad like I have before. You know, I've kind of yo-yoed on, on this roller coaster of 230 pounds to 280, 290 pounds. Um, this most recent kick, I got up to 282 and I was like, oh my God, I'm almost back to the highest weight that I've ever been in my life. I've got to do something. So I'm back in the gym. I'm working out. I'm eating cleaner, not perfect, hundred percent, not perfect, but definitely trying to limit the amount of times that we get pizza, you know, maybe instead of twice a week, it's like once a month, you know, something like that. But um, well, I got three kids one time per month that you freak out a little bit, but yeah, dude, I went from yeah, being one of those guys that was constantly in shape, got into a very, and we'll probably talk about it later, very, very bad motor, motorcycle accident that put me in a wheelchair for a period of time. Come back from that, finally got back into shape again, tore my left shoulder, went out of shape, and went bad out of shape, um, you know, 230 pounds, and then worked my way back just in this last year. After I got, I had the other shoulder get torn. It's a whole other story. Both shoulders repaired. This had to reattach my bicep, finally got rehabbed, and the last year, year and a half, I went at it. I got down to 182 at my my, my bottom, um, just really, really worked my ass off. And now it's like I put so much energy into this, 
a year straight of concentrated energy. And I'm like, I'm not going to go off of that ever again. And it feels good. It feels awesome yeah. being that. But now and again, I will derail, right? I've had a pizza in the last, in the last month. Um, and what sucks, it wasn't that good of a pizza. That's what pissed me off. It looked like it cut out on me a little bit there. Oh, yeah, you did, yeah okay. you did a little, a little jump there. That's all right. We can edit that part out right there. I got what you were saying. Yeah, it's so easy to go off the wagon and gain all that weight. I just wish it was that easy to lose it because you're right. You got to put a whole year's worth of effort to see the results you really want to see. And then you still have to go longer than that in order to get fully down to where you need to be. And, of course, maintaining its – it's a lifestyle change. It's not a diet, but I, I'm definitely one of those guys that 100%, when I have a, a pizza, I want beer with it, but absolutely beer is something that I have kind of, I haven't, well, yeah, I would, I would say I've cut it completely out of my diet at this point, just because I can't afford the calories and carbs anymore, man. It's just, it's too bad. It wrecks everything. So uh, if I'm going to cheat and have some alcohol, then I like to do like the little Mio drink mixers. And then just mix in like some vodka or something with it, you know, for the alcohol portion. But as far as uh, club soda, man, I had a club soda a couple of years ago, not for the first time ever, but like was steadily drinking it for the first time ever. And it's not bad, a, a little plain, but not my favorite. But I, I definitely enjoy one, especially if you got an upset stomach or something. Uh, you know, when I had it, I had a, a really I don't know what happened, just like a freak illness from. Uh, or when I was traveling to Cancun on vacation. So my first day of vacation was just wrecked and I was just downing club soda to make my stomach feel better. And it absolutely helped. So I'm, right I'm a big fan of it now. I didn't, I didn't know that it, that, that was the thing that it did that. I just did it because plain water's boring and you got to give it a little bit of something. You know? Then of course I finally get, uh, get into the uh, Celsius energy drinks. I don't do the normal energy drinks. I'll do celsius but that's about it man that's that's my life when it comes to that stuff it's really 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 freaking boring when it comes to food i eat the same thing all day every freaking day regimented stuff because i don't i get i don't get bored with it i don't ha i'm not one of those types so very yeah. blessed in this way i'm with you man well before we hop into it we always have to stop and take a second to talk about our sponsors so you know my question for listeners is are you tired of juggling multiple platforms for your marketing and sales needs it's time to revolutionize your business operations with Wingman. It's an all-in-one marketing automation software. It's designed by experienced marketers who understand your struggles. It's a game changer. It combines the best tools to streamline your communication and automate your workflows and grow your business. You can capture leads using landing pages, surveys, forms, and more. Nurture them with personalized messages via voicemail, SMS, emails, and even Facebook Messenger, and close deals with built-in tools to collect payments, schedule appointments, and track analytics. You can say goodbye to multiple marketing tools and hello to Wingman, your unified platform for all of your business needs. Enhance your online presence, manage your reputation effectively, and cultivate leads effortlessly. Are you ready to take your business to new heights? Visit trustyourwingman.com and let Wingman be your co-pilot to success because every business needs a Wingman. But Aaron, we're here to talk about you. Man, where did you come from? How'd you get into entrepreneurship? I ask this every single episode. What's your origin story? So I spent my high school years on a cattle ranch, and that's where you kind of learn the basic uh, business plan, right? You've got certain things you got to do at certain times to re to achieve the outcome that you're seeking. Then I had the capability to leave high school halfway through my senior year just because I was really good at picking locks. 
you know, I did not study for shit, man. I figured out a way to get my get my hands on the things I needed to get so I could pass those tests and get the hell out, right? And I created a little business there. I'd sell tests. I would trade it for homework and attendance. And I went I went hunting. I went snowboarding. I went uh, goofing off, four-wheeling all through most of high school, except for the classes I liked, auto shop, ceramics, uh, the sports things that I played. So went out to uh, work in the oil fields of Wyoming. You start to learn human dynamics a little bit when you start seeing how that works, the educated folks versus the grunts. Um, and then into running heavy equipment, driving truck. Then I, I had an opportunity to work in the mines in northern New Mexico, an amazing job. Me and my dad were up there working because he'd sold the ranch and went back to mining. I loved it. There's everything about it I loved. It was a simple day. You go down underground several hundred feet. You go to the face of this, what they call a heading. You're driving a tunnel, basically. And you, you, you lay it all out. You drill it, load it with explosives. You blast it. You clean it out. You support the ground. You do it again. You go through that cycle. And I enjoyed it because it was predictable. Well, it wasn't always predictable, right? Sometimes the rock come off in a way trying to kill you. The, ground, the earth was trying to kill everybody down there. And that's the other thing I loved about it. You had no idea if you're walking out that night. So um, they shut down that project. I came back to Arizona. I was up in northern New Mexico on the Colorado border. I had my wife and son here, infant son at the time. Couldn't find a job to save my life. Hunting, hunting, hunting. Everybody kept telling me this bullshit word, overqualified. It made no sense to a 23-year-old me what overqualified meant. Why would you not take a person who's fully qualified if not overqualified? I get it now, but I didn't get it then. Finally, went to a point where I needed anything. So I, I applied for a $10 an hour truck driving job to haul landscape rock, landscape rock uh, at a little landscape facility, and they gave me the same bullshit response. So as I'm leaving there, wiping tears from my face because I was that devastated I couldn't find a job, jumped in my truck, headed out to a grocery store because I had a coupon for free diapers. We were out. We were down to our last two diapers. My wife had somehow found this coupon. I was going to a grocery store to get these diapers. And as I'm leaving the yard there, the gas light comes on in my truck. I had never driven it very far with a gas light, so I needed to hurry up and find a place that had a, had a grocery store and a fuel station. So I pulled up to this gas station. I only had a debit card to make payments with, so I, swipe, I swiped that debit card, said a quick prayer, and I got a decline. So rifled through my truck, found a few coins. I don't remember what they were. Locked it, closed it, started walking that parking lot. And what seemed like a couple hours, I found enough change to get a couple gallons of gas. Now, this is 1997, when people still carry change and gas was under a dollar, right? So you could conceivably find enough to get a couple gallons of gas. Now, I don't know that you could pull that off with as expensive as gas is and people don't carry change. So I got went inside after I got my gas, found those diapers that correspond with the coupon. I stood in line and I don't know if you've ever stood in a situation like this, but you're holding your one item. And when you get there, you need a coupon to pay for it. It didn't feel it felt it didn't felt bad to me. I did not like the feeling I had. But I hurriedly got out of there as quickly as I could and had my head down, avoiding all eye contact. And I heard my name yelled by a guy named Keith. I turned to face Keith and he uh, used to run the uh, office where I ran heavy equipment, digging swimming pools years before. He asked me how things were. I lightly explained how things were. He said, let's go to dinner. I said, I can't afford dinner. He goes, no, I got a gift certificate to Red Lobster from a client. Let me take you and your wife to dinner. That's where he explained he was in the mortgage industry. Now, the only thing I knew about mortgages was the old man and the old lady losing the farm to this thing called a mortgage back on, on the TV shows you'd watch. It was a very negative word to me. But he introduced me to some people. I, I shaved. I cut a foot off of my hair. My mom bought me some business-like clothes. I went in and interviewed, and they started me as a telemarketer in December of 1997. 
and it was hell to get started in. But because of that introduction and my decision to walk through that door and never go back to what I used to do, I had to go back to what I used to do. I did find another job. I get up at, you know, first I start driving truck to Sacramento and back every week, then to Vegas and back, then work three days in the office. I hated that. Then I went back to running heavy equipment, get up by 3 a.m., be the yard by four or the job site by four, be done by noon, be to the office by two and work till 10 p.m. every day for a week. I mean, excuse me, for a year. And that was sleep four hours a night. So one year of doing that till finally the rates, the interest rates went below 7%. So 6.875 conceivably that I could get loans done. And at that point, then I got enough business to replace my income with the other job and uh, just went into it full time. Fast forward where we're at today, uh, there's over a million people in the industry that do the job that I do. Those million people that have a, an incorrect stat on my website, I got to correct, but of those million people, I'm ranked number seven for transactions closed every year. Uh, and I focus on the real estate investor because I understand the real estate investment better, investor better than really anybody in my industry. And I'm a real estate investor myself. I buy real estate in six different states and uh, I turn it or I'll hold it, buy it and hold it and rent it out. I'll turn real estate, all these different things. But because of that, I've been able to build a really, really strong national business with a team of about 22 people. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't even know where you begin to kind of get into that space. Like, so you started as a telemarketer, but then moved up the ranks, like maybe account manager or something like how did that work? Um, so after I generated 10 leads, because um, it, it got to a point where I generated some good, good 10 real good leads. And I generated a few more than that said, hey, the, you have to feed and let the other loan originators in the in the broker shop decide whether or not I was good at it. And after I got some, he's going like, let me work some of these leads. I actually pulled about three or I siphoned four or five more off. I like, mind if I work these leads? These guys got their 10. Let me work these. So they put me with another loan originator, this guy, Greg, as my trainer and said, OK, you got to split the first 10 deals with him. He's going to show you how to do it. And um, so we did. And it was it was an it was a real hammer and chisel kind of process back then. But he shared with me and I spent a lot of time really trying to focus on what Greg did. Then I caught on to a few other guys. There's this guy, Ed, that was in there. And Ed was the way that guy talked to people was different than anybody else. He could get away with saying some shit, which really surprised me. Like, because um, I'd hear him say something and I'm looking at Greg and I was like, who does he who do you think who is he talking to? And he goes, probably a realtor or a client. I'm like, how does he get away with this? The shit that he's saying to these people. So I paid really close attention to him. I started to realize you can say whatever you want. It's just a matter of how you say it. And um, so I started actually pulling from the personalities of the different people within the uh, brokerage, paying really, really close attention to each person. And that's where I kind of built my thought process or my persona, if you will, around that on the phone. But then I discovered this persona on the phone was very convincing with people that I had created but when they come into the office and they'd see this, what looked like an 18 year old kid in there, they would walk out. I was great as long as we didn't have to interact face to face. So that was a difficulty that I'd had for a long time. And then I finally got to the point uh, at some point where I said, you know, hell with this. What I discovered is that I was lying to people with my appearance who they talked to on the phone was free to say what he wanted. But the person they started seeing, I was still dressing like somebody else. So that's why I changed to just be me. And it took me a long time to get to that point. But once I figured that out, it's like you literally start to match the face with the and the face they weren't expecting. The face you're looking at right here is not what people expect when they get done talking to me. But then they see it and like, oh, that now makes sense. 
And it literally converges in their mindset when they go to my website and it helps build that relationship quicker. And I don't have clients, man. I have a shit ton of friends all over the planet. Yeah, that's my favorite way to sell. I don't like it when it's just truly transactional, you know, when all we're doing is trying to sell a product to somebody or a service to somebody, get that money, get that lead to convert and then move on and go down the road to the next lead. I definitely have a longer sales cycle myself because I'm, I'm the one that wants to establish that friendship. So I'm with you 100 percent. Like it's it's got to be genuine and real. And if we can't work together because we're just not going to fit, that's fine. There's no hard feelings. It's just I would rather not waste anybody's time and know up front that we're not going to be a good fit for each other. Like that's half the sales process is figuring out who you are, who I am, and if it melds together well. And you're right. Being real is the only way to be as far as presenting yourself exactly who you are. Because I think especially nowadays, you know, in the 90s, it was a little bit different with no social media, no widespread Internet access and all that stuff. You couldn't call out salesmen on their bullshit easily. You know, it was it was easy for a salesman to just sell you a load of crap and have you buy it and then have buyer's remorse later versus now these clients are coming to you well educated. They're aware of what's going on in the industry. They're aware of what they need and they're aware of if you're good at being able to provide other people with that need before they ever even walk through your door. It's like, I don't know. It's different. It's a lot different these days. Well, and there's no sales pitch in what we do. It's straight education and straight up consulting. I say, listen, you've got a consultant of 25 years experience with a staff of 22 that also has a combined experience of several, several hundred years experience that we are basically here to guide you through this process. The only way we get paid is by closing. So everybody else is selling you a loan. We're actually selling you and we're not even selling. We're, we're a business partner with you, if you will. And if you don't want that, you don't have to have it. I don't give a damn. It saves me time because I put an enormous amount of time in with each one of our clients because I need them to be better educated. The education they get right now from all the social media and all the stuff out there is still a bunch of sales pitchy bullshit. Uh, yep. People that are trying to come to us as a conventional lender, we do the you know what they call the their conventional loans, the Fannie Freddie stuff, even FHA and VA and USDA for people buying houses to live in. But we focus on investors, but we do all types of loans. We'll also do your DSCR, your commercial loans. We, we, we can broker blanket loans, your portfolio stuff. But a person wants to buy 10 houses, we can do that. Do all these things, but what it boils down to is the consulting behind it, regardless of the product that we close. And that's how we get paid. And the thing also is helping people understand where, where investors do best in real estate. Now, one thing that I, I, I love to preach is good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. The problem of it is you don't know until you know. It's like, you know, a great way to learn in grade school, but a very, very, very tough way to learn in real estate. I have the blessing of getting to see where thousands of people have made decisions about the real estate business, where thousands of people have actually succeeded, where thousands of people have failed in those decisions and what they did to overcome or become more successful. I offer that, that information to my clients. When they ask a question, I don't tell them what to do. I give them stories of what I've seen other people do and exactly what the outcome is so they can operate based on practical data, not speculation and theory. So as a result of that, that's how we built our business is continuing to provide data that nobody else is willing to provide. They can get it. It's just hard as hell. It's so much easier to tell everybody I got the cheapest rates, I got the cheapest cost, and I'll refinance you later for free if the rates go down. That's all bullshit. Or take, an, uh, take a five-year arm right now and refinance when rates go down. They're not going down, folks. They're not. 
What we just experienced for the last 13 years is an anomaly, and I can show you all damn day long why that is. They are going up. They're going to stay up. That's just the way it is. And if you get a rate in the single digits today, count yourself lucky. It, the housing's going to go up. Rates are going to go up. It's just the way it's going to be. Get on the train right now to buy the investment real estate because we are being turned into a subscription-based society, period. And a subscription-based society rents. If you own the real estate, you're one of those people who get to rent out not be the renter. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like if you're able to purchase, then you now become the, uh, you know, not employer, but you become the company, basically. And that's something I've known about real estate for a while. It's something I've been interested in. I'm just, I'm one of those that needs that education you're talking about, right? Because I, I've purchased two homes now. So I, I bought and sold my first starter home. And then uh, basically what happened was all luck of the draw, by the way, during that housing bubble pop, we had those rock bottom interest rates, rock bottom pricing. And we purchased a nice, you know, of course, depending on where you're listening at in the country or the world, this may or may not make sense to you. But here in Texas, uh, we were rock bottom prices. And that was a four bedroom, three bathroom, 2,400 square foot home with about an 8,000 square foot lot. And that ran me $125,000 in 2011. Wow. Beautiful deal, right? So we Probably got it. I think we were... Do what? It's a brick home, right? It was a brick home with, you know, some siding on it as well. But, you know, starter home, very, very starter home. Like this was not a huge, it's a big company, but they're known for like that KB home style yep. starter. You know, everything's a box and there's a bunch of boxes together and that makes your house. And then when the housing market took off during COVID and all the prices skyrocketed. We sold that house for $230,000 cash to a real estate investor who purchased with a 14 day closing is what they requested. And he wanted cash price, you know? And so we went with that. We cashed out on about $130,000 in profit, paid off some debt and then purchased our second home. And that's where we went from like a five or 6% or it may have been like a four or 5% interest rate is what we had. And now we're down to that 3% interest rate and then, of course, we paid a little bit more for our home. We got a 2,700 square foot house, same specs, but with an additional office in there. Uh, and, of course, my property now is a half acre lot. So we're almost 20,000 square feet on the lot here in this neighborhood. And I paid $230,000, or I'm sorry, $330,000 for this home. And then now, just in the two years we've lived here, the other homes without my yard are selling for about $430,000. So if I really wanted to be dumb, I could probably fetch 430 to 450 for it. But, you know, we're going to sit tight for the next 20 years and kind of see what this housing market does, because that's that's what scares me is I, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to say like, oh, yeah, I made really good investments on my property. And that's why I made that money I made. I lucked out. I was a dumb kid. And my wife and I, they're in the right window of time. As I keep telling everybody, yep. there's no timing the market. It's no different than being a star football player trying to get on the highlight reel. You don't sit on the bench and wait for the perfect play to jump on the field. You have right. to have to get on the field already. You just happen to get in at the right time, right place, have that low interest rate. And let me tell you one thing right now, and I, I caution you to not go against what I'm saying. Never pay that mortgage off early. Pay the exact payment that they want for the next 30 years. Do not pay it a single cent more. The reason being is our, what's happening with our dollar's value with, with inflation right now. Do you know? Mm, yeah. I mean, the value is dropping. Dropping significantly. So right. as you pay it, every time you give them a do the dollar from the month before, it's now worth at least 
0.666% less than the month before. Yep. At least that much. So because of that, you're going to pay back less than what you borrowed over the 30 years. You may pay, let's say, let's say in a person buy, buys a $200,000 house, they put 20% down, they have a $160,000 loan. You may pay, you know, 402,000 bucks in principal and interest in today's rates, but the value of those dollars over that 30 years is equal to less than what you borrowed, it's 152,000. I have an app that you can go to your app store and download. It has the calculator in there to calculate that for you. That's my app. I had this created so you can see what the time value of money is. Never pay them back more than what they want and never get a, lo a shorter loan than 30 years and never get one that has an interest only uh, piece to it. That interest only is how they make their money. And then they convince and convince and convince and just pound you with marketing to refinance after that first five years. Or in these interest only deals you have right now, there's a 40 year interest only where it's 10 years of interest only, then 30 year am. They will get you in that 15, that first 15 years and you'll refi and you'll get stuck and you paid nothing but interest. Don't ever get suckered by that. That's crazy. I mean, it's such a simple thought, but yet so mind blowing because I'm, I'm stuck on. And so I, I need to understand this. So it's more of a question than a statement, but you know, my thought process has always been the earlier you pay it off, then the more interest you're going to save. So this calculator, does that kind of allow me to make that educated decision of, you know, hey, I need to pay it off in that 30 years because with the rate of, you know, deflation in the amount of value in our dollar, I'm going to save X amount of dollars and then compare that to the number of extra interest I would pay if I, you know, paid it off in 30 years versus 15. Yeah, if you pay it in 15, what's interesting, when you run the numbers on it, you actually pay more in 15 years because you're giving them the money while it's worth more money. Right. Now, the capital that you would have taken or that you do take to be able to pay it off in 15 years, the increased principal, if you reinvested that somewhere else where it compounds for you, you make money there while you're paying off your mortgage here and you literally end up with money in your hands rather than just a paid off mortgage. You eventually have a paid off mortgage, but one leaves you with capital over here, investing yep. and growing and compounding, while this one just leaves you with a paid off mortgage. Either way, you still have a paid off mortgage. One's gonna give you capital, one's not. The other thing of it is, is think about how often people refinance their houses. Have you ever really paid attention to how often people refinance a home? I have not just because I, I, I never qualified to refinance. I was lucky to get the house I got. <laughs> and it's not your space, right? It's about every four to five years. So what, what people don't realize is when you think about it, what does the first five years of a 30-year fix look like? As far as nothing but interest payments and... It's practically all interest, right? The majority right, absolutely. interest. Well, if you can convince the general population to refinance every four to five years, all they're doing is paying interest. So yeah, I, had a, I had a client of mine had a $120,000 mortgage. He came to us after six, after 48 months. It's like his 47th month or something like that. He goes, oh, I'm going to refinance because the rates are down. I'm like, how much cash do you want? He goes, none. I just want to pay, get, get a lower rate. I'm like, dude, don't do that. Pull cash out. Reinvest it somewhere. Make this grow for you. He goes, nope, my dad said and my banker said and everything I've ever heard advertised says refinance if the rates go down by at least X. It's at least X, so I'm going to refinance. That's what I've always done. Well, he paid down, he paid almost $37,000 over 48 months on this mortgage. But the balance had only dropped by 6,200 or 6,800 or something like that. Yeah. By the time we were done re with the refinance and the costs and the, the prepaid interest and all these things being added back onto it, the balance of his loan was with one hundred within one hundred and two dollars of the original balance. He got nowhere. 
And then he right. was happy. I'm like, dude, you got to do it. I couldn't convince him because he has been wired so hard to do it that way. And so what happens if he stays in that same pattern over 20 years, he'll have played over $180,000 in just state straight interest and still has a $120,000 loan. Who do you think's winning? Yeah. That's the the bank. bank world is winning. Because you're, you're hundred percent right. What is bred into us is save, right? If you want to, if you want to make more money, then save your money. And then, it's kind of considered that like the Grant Cardones of the world are crazy because they tell you don't buy things you can't afford and don't buy things that are not making you money. So for instance, a house could be a bad investment other than the fact that yes, you do need a home. So do they penalize you for that in their thought process? Not terribly, but always spend your money on stuff that's going to make you more money and saved money is not money that's going to make you money. Like you're, I know I keep just saying money over and over again, but if it's, if it's saved, it's not being spent. You're not purchasing anything that's going to increase your capital and move the needle. That's the, the fact of the matter. So you're buying a house. It's already not the best investment whenever you're thinking about the fact that it's not going to make you money unless you were doing business with someone like you who is teaching you how to make real estate into an investment. Um, so when you're buying this money, you're throwing the money away, quote unquote. Um, but if you can just stick to those 30 year terms and then finance it, who cares if you paid extra? Because like you said, with the value of the dollar going down and then in the end with you, instead of paying the extra money to your mortgage so that you could save money in the long run, now you took that money, invest it into something that's making you money and it, it's all a wash. So in the end, you wound up either breaking even or actually doing better by just paying out the 30 year mortgage anyway. And then you also created something that's going to generate more income. And down the road, if it generates you enough, you could just pay the shit off early because you can just give them a cash payment for the rest of the balance anyway. So it's like people say in life, you know, some people are walking through life playing checkers and other people are walking through life playing chess. And that's chess. How do you get back at the big banks? How do you get back at the people who are making the money off of the people that need a place to live? you know, this is how you do it. Like you said, I love it. It's, it's mind blowing, but it's so simple that it shouldn't be, you know, it's something I should have seen already, but we're brainwashed into buy a house, have a picket fence, have kids, have cars, make those cars on car note payments, make that house on a mortgage payment, you know, put yourself into debt so you, that your credit score can be higher so you can get into more debt. And it's like, we don't see this hamster wheel where we think we're going you know, 500,000 miles a second. And really and truly, you're not moving anywhere or you're rolling backwards. Well, you're ultimately, we're conditioned to think a certain way, like you said. And guys, don't don't think and I'm going to shit on somebody for having that type of lifestyle. It's like, listen, I just want to go to work eight hours a day. And on, on Friday, I want to come home. I want to go to, I want to get some pizza. I want to sit in the driveway while my cooler, watch the freaking game with my neighbors and just spend the weekend there and then get up on Monday and do it again. They have no worries. As long as you have a good job, that pays you to do that, you have accomplished your goal in life, right? If that's, that's, if that is your ultimate lifestyle, have at it. That's not my lifestyle. 100%. I can't stop. I keep just grinding and grinding and grinding, trying to think of what ways can I make it harder for anybody who does the business that I do to follow me. I keep looking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to reroute how to get up Everest because this route's way too damn easy. There's too damn many people. I want to take a different route and I want to make it so treacherous, so rocky, so nasty and have so many damn poisonous serpents on it that nobody wants to follow me. And then when I get there, you can't just relax and take a selfie and then, you know, have ship in some food. And now you're on your, you're, you're done. 
There's no such thing as being done. That bitch will kill you. You got to get your ass down and go find another another goal and keep grinding and keep going. And when I say when I go to the grave, I'm coming in hot. There's no such thing as retirement for me. You know, right. the, the ultimate goal cannot be achieved in my world. It won't be achieved in my lifetime. Let's put it this way. Ultimate goal for my business is my business name is my name, just Aaron Chapman. So when you when you think of um, uh, Charles Schwab, what do you think of? Money. Money, right? Uh, yeah. You think of a business that does trading on the market, right? Helping you trade yep. in the rock and stock. You don't think of a person. You didn't see a person's face when you thought Charles Schwab, right? At all. Eventually, this face will die and fade and just rot in the ground. I want that name to endure as real estate investment finance. That's why I want that name to endure as. So when you hear that name, it's like, oh, yeah, that's that group that does real estate investment finance and all types of finance. Uh, so, you know, but we focus on the real estate investor because that's the hardest type. But we help anybody get into a house, anybody get into a vacation properties, buy rentals, all these things, house hack, all the crap, birth strategy, you name it. We're the specialists in all of it. There's not a single person on this planet that does my role that can hold a candle to my team. There just isn't. I'll go Pepsi challenge against any some bitch that wants to claim it. So ultimately, that's the goal that we serve our community and help them become better equipped to, to do exactly what you're talking about, right? To hack through the whole system and understand how the system works. We're not going to touch, but maybe a fraction of a percent of the people out there doing this. So we're not going to impact the banking world. The banking world, I'm not even a blip on the radar of these some bitches, right? They have completely brainwashed the common public to serve their needs. We are literally serfs to their bullshit. I'm the one guy, one of the few guys out there screaming something different. They may silence me someday, but it's, it's not probably not going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, they make way too much money off of it. And, you know, it's like a uh, it's similar to a cult, right? When you have them brainwashed so much, you're not going to change their mind. So, uh, no. I mean, it, it's something that I have seen even on this podcast. I had a digital nomad and she's like, yeah, I work from wherever I want to live from for that day, week, month, year, six years. I just go. I just move, go there. And I was like, yeah, I wish I could do that. That'd be so much fun. But I have three kids. And she's like, OK, so why can't you? I'm like, well, because I have three kids. She's like, okay, so why don't you take your kids to Gettysburg instead of them reading a textbook about Gettysburg? Why don't you take your kids to enjoy the world? She's like, you feel like you need a house with a picket fence and two cars and your hobbies and a Monday through Friday, eight to five. That's what you feel like, but you don't have to have that. And I was like, man, again, so simple, so correct, but so mind blowing. And honestly, get out of your programming to do it. Right. I, right. Yeah, the only reason I'm not doing that exact thing right now is same reason, wife and a kid, right? I've got four kids, two of them, three of them moved on. They got their spouse, whatever. But my wife wants to have in the house, wants to live this way. This is the way she wants it, right? If for some reason she changed her mind on that and we, I would literally be in the Jeep with the with that trailer. I've got the RV uh, Starlink. I could do my shit from anywhere. I can be down in a yep. canyon. I can do what I got to do. I would be set up, but... I have not convinced her well enough to do this. Yeah, man, I knew I liked you. Ride motorcycles. My first was a 2013 Electric Glide. Uh, I got a Jeep 2017 JK out in the front. So I got like five of those damn things. I uh, my you know, I haven't ridden in a long time. That accident really changed things for me. On that, I had, I had a 2008 Crossbones on the uh, on order. I had a, a Road King that I destroyed on that that uh, ride. But I've got rock crawlers and Jeep. My, my main Jeep right now is a. 2004 uh, TJ with or the LJ, the longer one with a. Um, I've got an LS3 in the sun bitch. It's got a. Uh, I mean, it is it is so rotted out. It will go on the road just fine. It's not really happy on the road, but you get that on the rocks. 
and it is it, it'll get it'll get anything done. You know, it's uh, I, I there's probably 150 grand tied up in this damn jeep. Golly, yeah, that, they're awesome though, man. I truly enjoy them. So I know we went off on a tangent. I think it was a great tangent. So freaking informational. I could end the podcast right now, and the majority yeah. of the listeners probably are happy with it. But I want to go back to that transition from working for someone and kind of basically what did you do? And then not only that, but what was going through your mind and why? Like, why why make that jump and say, I want to do it for myself? You know, I know that obviously you're driven by, I want to make more money. I want to work for myself. You have an entrepreneurial spirit to you. But, you know, was there something that was lacking in the market that you felt like you were bringing to it? Like, why do business with you? So the jump part of it was I hated that other people had control of my day. I hated that I had to be at the yard at a certain time. I hated getting up every morning and put on those boots in the dark to go out there and sometimes work till it was dark. For what? You know, I was working for something that was just making somebody else rich. Those are the guys that the owners of the company, which were great guys. You know, they were awesome individuals, but they would roll up with new boats and new trucks and all these things. They go, you know, their truck got 50,000 miles on it. They go pick up another one, take it right to the custom shop, get stuff done. They come back and they've got this kick-ass new truck. And God bless them for doing that. They suffered a lot to build that business. I'm like, you know, I need to figure out a way to do this myself. And uh, that's where this opportunity came along. I didn't want to go backwards. It was hard. You know, you had to endure the crash of 2008, right? So after, you know, first you had the dot-com bubble situation, then you grinded through that, and then you had to just build the business up, period. And then you've got the crash of 2008, where I wake up in the hospital with 17 broken bones, one collapsed lung, and a memory that only lasted three minutes. I had to cycle through that. Had to come back to a completely obliterated industry all my net worth was gone. I went from a net worth of over 3 million to a negative net worth of 1.5 and I had to rebuild from there with a complete change. And that was when the shift, when the investor was coming into Arizona to buy those cheaper houses. And then he went to Indiana and Texas and Missouri. And I had to build and build and build and try and target those guys. They were the smallest loan amounts in the business. So nobody wanted it. Now it's like the only business in the business and everybody wants it. So I'm now have to fend off all the assholes that want my business that I've been building for the last 20 years. So then, you, you know, you come back from all that and then you go through, uh, you hit the pandemic and it completely freaked everybody out. So I decided to get on social. First time I got on social media was in was during the pandemic because I had so many clients asking questions. I had to talk to them somehow. So that went to YouTube and that went to all the other mediums. And I can't stand social, but that's what I was doing. And then from there, it's just digging in through this tough time right now. Um, I've had to restart my business three times in my career. And so it's a matter of never stopping and never slowing down. So as far as what we offer to the market, like you just said, what's different about us? I mean, shit, if you can't see that by looking at me and talking to me, then you know, I'm doing something wrong. Uh, the other thing is our experience. We, don't, we know things better than anybody else does because we focused on the one thing for so dang long, more so than anybody else. They have bounced from different parts and different types of businesses through this whole time. People focused on refinancing because they're easy, focused on first-time homebuyers because it's easy, focused on low rates because it's easy. We've done nothing but just clawed our way through the toughest kind of business ever since I got in the industry and really started focusing on the, the real estate investor in 2003. And we know more about it than anybody else does. We've pumped out more successful people in real estate, starting with single family homes than any other team that's out there in our industry. So I know you service, obviously, everyone, you know, like you said, you can you can handle anything, but specifically on the real estate investment side or, you know, and then again, maybe in any capacity, how do I know if I'm a good fit to be your client? As far as like, especially in the real estate investment side of things, 
you know, how much capital do I need to start doing something like this? Like, how do I need to be set up in life before I'm ready to have this conversation? Um, really, the capital is, I wouldn't say it's irrelevant, but it's the desire for the capital, right? The one who wants to go out there and find it. We can't just create capital out of thin air. Some people come and say, hey, I hear you're great and that you can come up with with creative ways to do stuff. I can't create, I, I, I don't have money tree seeds to plant. It doesn't happen that way. You've got to figure out how to get your capital yourself. But ultimately, it's do we get along? I would say the conversation we've had today would say that we would probably make a pretty good fit to do business together. My initial conversation, I don't talk about interest rates, I don't talk about programs. I spend that first 30 minutes with that person who wants to get started in real estate investing, understanding what they know and sharing with them what I know and seeing if there is some continuity. If there's no continuity between us, we shouldn't be doing business together. If they go to my website and say they got some bald bearded redneck on there and they don't like the look of me, then go somewhere else. But we need to have at least a foundation of business together by knowing we get along. And then, then, then it's going to develop into trust. And to me, that's the most, that's the paramount thing. Earning somebody's trust in, with their business and with their livelihood and with their family's future, that's massive. And it gets deeper than just doing the loan. We talk about the infinite banking strategy. We talk about setting that foundation there first, utilizing that life insurance to build that foundation for your family so you can invest and you can grow your life and grow your capital and live it to the absolute fullest. When I die, I will spend every single cent that I have, that I created, if I've got a, if I'm down to my last couple bucks, I'm disappearing into the wilderness of Alaska, I'm covering myself with blood, I'm grabbing my pistol, I'm going bear hunting. Somebody's coming out alive and somebody ain't. So I'm gonna spend my last dollar. But my kids, when I die, they get left with those hundreds of millions of dollars that come back in or tens of millions of dollars, whatever it is, for my death benefit. It ensures my ability to spend my life the way I want to, expanding all, expounding all my resources the way I want to, and then they will have more than enough with the trust when I leave. And that's so where I train I can, all my people. Yeah, and I, and I love that. And that's what, exactly where I wanted to go with that was the training. So you're a wealth of knowledge, obviously. You know, um, Where can I connect with you? Where can I find this information from you? You know, How are you in the free ways or the ways that I can spend a little bit of time or maybe a little bit of money on something that you have? How can I learn from you and what should I do? So you can go to just my website, AaronChapman.com. You know, that's the easiest way to find me. There's a media section there. I've been a guest on well over 200 business podcasts. There's a video section I put out two YouTubes a week on what's happening in the market and how it affects you as a real estate investor. Um, I also have four books that are on, on Amazon right now. There's little books, nothing extreme. I took 370 pages. I broke it down to 30 pages a piece. Rapids 30 pages. It's, it's a chapter with its own cover. So you just get the one lesson and get out, right? Got another one that I'm working on that's going to be about 115, 120 pages. Um, They'll come out probably later this year, early next year. Uh, right now, the artwork is extremely involved. I didn't expect it to be involved, but the artist has taken the the writing and decided to get crazy with it, which is going to be an amazing book. Um, and it's going to be the Ford is written by Robert Allen. Uh, look him up if you don't know who that some bitch is, man. He's got a lot of uh, he was the OG when it comes to real estate. That guy, there's there's few people have accomplished what that man's accomplished. So um, yeah, there, there's there's ways you can get get to to work with me before working with me. Heck yeah. No, I mean, like I said, you're a wealth of knowledge. So just picking up any of that stuff to better prepare someone who is looking forward to working with you. Is there any anyone that you're not looking for as a client specifically? And, you know, even if it's located to location, like can you help anyone across the United States? 
Um, I'm limited just in what states I'm licensed in. I'm licensed in 30 states. There's some things in the in the uh, Northeast I can't do, like New York and New Jersey, unfortunately. Those are some big places. But they're just, you know, on the website at the bottom, it shows the licenses that I have. Um, you can also, guys, if you're interested, go to your app store and look up the QJO investment tool. You can download. That's the app I referenced earlier. Shoot me an email. I'll get you the videos on how to, how to use it. In fact, I'll just shoot you the videos, John. You can put that out in the show notes. Uh, so that way they can download the videos and watch how to use it. it can be complicated, but these are calculators that we use for investors in the lending world. And then I had the calculator created by the the professor of accounting at Kennesaw State University that incorporates the time value of money. So again, look for the QJO investment tool. It's called the, it stands for the quit jerking off investment tool, which is what I say <laughs> people are wasting time on looking for interest rates. Yeah. I mean, interest rates, you know, big, big thing in my mind. And then, uh, but I don't know, I don't know what to do or what to look for enough. You know, I always tell people it's like me working on my Jeep alone, right? I'm not a mechanic, so I'm not totally comfortable with it. I know enough to get myself in trouble, right? So I've been lucky the past two times that I've had to dabble in the real estate market. And I would like for my next time to be from an investment perspective and to be a whole lot more educated about it. So uh, unless you have something else you want to just get out to the world, man, I think this has been a great episode so far. Well, the only other thing that's left really is, guys, when you're buying investment real estate, it's not about what the interest rate is, what the price is. You have to be in a place that you can find that you can keep reasonably rented and that you can raise rents on it, period. If you can do that, and let me just drop a teaser in here. If you can do that, you literally, before any cash flow on this property, you can make 10.6% on your initial investment just by somebody else paying off the mortgage, just keeping it reasonably rented. And then if you're in a place where you purchase it, where the property value at least increases by at least two and a half percent per year, if it doesn't go up two and a half percent per year or more, don't touch it. But that's a really, really conservative number. Property value going up two and a half percent per year. That's another 10 percent increase on your initial investment. Approximately that's 20 percent above 20 percent increase on your initial investment on that property before any cash flow and before tax benefits. It gets bigger than that. It can be hundreds of percents. If you want to understand how that works, and this is passive, this is just what the baseline is, 20% by keeping it rented and being in an, in an environment that raises by at least 2.5% per year. If that intrigues you, reach out to me. Go to AaronChapman.com. Go to the comment section. Hell, you just look me up on online. Google Aaron Chapman. You'll find only one bearded redneck with a braid on his face. And just reach out to us. We'll schedule a time and I'll tell you exactly how to get that. And it's very, very achievable. That's amazing, man. It's been a great conversation. I truly appreciate your time and coming on the show and sharing this with everybody today because it, it's just been awesome. So this has been a great, great podcast episode. I've learned a bunch on it and I definitely look forward to connecting with you. And of course, we're going to link everything we talked about in our show notes. So absolutely. If our listeners want to connect, we will make sure they have a way to get in touch with you for sure find the bearded redneck with a braid that's ultimately how you'll you know who you're dealing with right so you can you can email me you can go to my website aaronchapman.com go, go to the uh you can actually when you download the app in the upper left corner is a little question mark you click there it take you right to my website right um so and, and help text me i don't give a crap here's my cell phone 602-291-3357 it's my personal cell phone shoot me a text Say, I heard you on the podcast with John. 
love to talk. I'll shoot it to my assistant. She'll personally reach out to you and schedule a time to talk with us. The reason I have her do that is because I want to make sure that I set aside the time for that half hour, 45 minutes or hour, whatever it is. So I block the whole world and I can talk to you. That's it. That's all I want. As long as we can sync our calendars up, it's perfect. Thanks for listening to another episode of Small Business Origins. I love an origin story. If you like what you just heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share with a friend. You guys, check this out. They're going to love it. You're going to love it.